And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right. Welcome, everybody. We survived the midterms. <laughs> we're, we're here uh, live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. Glad to have you all with us. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. And uh, it is Wednesday, November 9th. We are skating towards our 500th episode, December 30th is uh, is where that's going to happen. So uh, be sure to tune in there. I want to give a shout out to everybody who is listening to this as a podcast. We've got listeners in Spain, Germany, Canada, Australia, the Philippines. Good to have all of you with us. But I do want to invite you to check out the video every now and again, because sometimes we'll have stuff up that you, it doesn't translate to radio that well. But uh, uh, check that out. And, uh, of course, you can leave a comment. The live chat is open. I see Keely and Death Angel Shadow in there. Uh, we are broadcasting live right now to YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey. We're trying to get our numbers up on Rumble so we can stream over there as well. Uh, so you can leave a comment. You can uh, you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And like and share and and all of those things so we can uh, we can tweak the algorithm right because it's all about the almighty algorithm and that's where we can get our uh, our beginnings for our topic today because we are talking about algorithms we're talking about artificial intelligence there's a new there's a book out called the future you talking about how artificial intelligence can help us live healthier lives less stress and uh i I don't know. Uh, Harry Glorickian is our guest today. He is the author of the book. Um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start off and let you know I'm a skeptic. I I am one of those people. The older I get, because you mentioned the Jetsons in your book, you mentioned Star Trek, and when I was a kid, there was all sorts of this really cool technology in science fiction. You know, communicators and tricorders and transporters and shuttlecraft and computers and all of this. And, you know, now now we've got, you know, the the memory disks that we got in Star Trek. We've got our communicators. You know, we've got the tricorders that are out there. We've got our we've got our data data pads. We've got all this all this all this cool stuff that was science fiction. And the older I get, the more I look around and I think, you know, Cabin in the Woods is not a bad a bad plan right now because it feels like this stuff is getting really intrusive yeah <laughs> first of all thank you very much for having me sure <laughs> now now that I, I having, having i can't disagree with the statement yeah having said that this is not going to be a hostile environment for you but i you know just just to let you know where i'm starting here because you know mrs boss has probably lost count of how many times i've sat there and complained about the technology and said yeah just just throw my hands up and go go off grid completely but you've got a different take on things and and you know, all all kidding aside your book details all of the different ways that artificial intelligence and machine learning can be used as tools uh with some benefit to be derived so how do, how do you make that pitch to people like me who are skeptics well, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, technology can always be used in, you know, good ways and bad ways. That's, I mean, I think that goes for any technology, right? Um, but a lot of the stuff that we're doing in healthcare, you know, they are tuned in design to help us diagnose someone more accurately, faster, um, identify the right treatment that would uh, work on them uh, better than, say, guessing. Um, and take multiple points of data that a human may have trouble with managing all these different data points and put it into context so that they can make a better decision, you know, uh, more accurately. And these are all the ways that I see that we're utilizing this technology in different areas of healthcare that are really, I mean, they're moving the needle and we haven't even seen anything yet. Well, and it's not just in, in healthcare. I mean, your book focuses on... <laughs> 
<coughs> excuse me, your book focuses on that, but you're yeah. also talking, you know, you also mentioned uh, agriculture, uh, entertainment, uh, uh, me- medical technology, surgical training, vaccine development, communications, traffic control, you know, tying artificial intelligence into, you know, cameras at intersections and streetlights and stuff. So I, on the one hand, I can look at this and I can think, yes, I can see where in certain circumstances, AI can be useful as a tool performing a task. But when you get into the decision-making aspects of things, um, I we frequently run into this whole garbage-in, garbage-out situation where this, this AI is only going to be as good as the people who programmed it, and then it starts learning based off of that foundation. We see, we see that, you know, YouTube is, an, exa- is a, an example of that, how the algorithm can be abused on the one hand with mass flagging and brigading and, you know, you know uh, fraudulent complaints and copyright, you know, copyright claims and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, we have I, to be very diligent in healthcare, right? Yeah. So as opposed to YouTube and all these things where, you know, it's, it, I wouldn't call it. Oh. Um, it's more of, you know, if we're going to create an FDA cleared diagnostic, we have to follow certain rules and, and, you know, pass certain hurdles. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you need to do. And this is not just for AI. This is for any diagnostic product that's cleared by the FDA or any therapeutic product. Right. So we are taking human life and treating it at a different level than YouTube or any of these other systems would. Well, I mean, yes, but you're also you're also in a situation where any of this stuff can get abused to the detriment of individuals, but also societies. I mean, the cancel culture is built around this kind of thing where, you know, I don't like what you said. We're going to we're going to to mass flag and tweak the algorithm so that you get censored, you get suppressed. I mean, you see what happened in the in the in the pan during the time of the pandemic. Certain people weren't allowed to talk about certain things. And yeah, but, but the, I think I think we're talking about two different things, right? So okay. in, in the public domain, yes, I think I believe, you know, there's always going to be that that's going on. Right. But in in the world of diagnostics or therapeutics development, like we have to meet, you know, certain criteria, certain threshold. Things have to be locked down. You can't go in and fool around with the algorithm anytime you feel like it. There's a process to, you know, putting these things forward for medical use, right, or even home use, um, and then that gets locked up. Now, somebody you know external to that wants to say that it's not worth using, you know, then, you know, the public discourse is the public discourse, but the product itself, yeah, has to be managed and regulated properly so that people that are using it or uh, deriving information of it to make a therapeutic decision, uh, know that what they're getting has been managed properly and has cleared certain thresholds. So how do you how do you guarantee or or can you guarantee that it doesn't get abused? I mean, Death Angels make a good a good point here. Human humans seem to be particularly good at taking advantage of weaknesses in any given system. So how do you guard against something like that? Because if you're talking about a person's health, that's that's a lot more mission critical, I would say, because you know somebody a doctor makes a mistake on the surgery table, people die. You know, th- those kind of things where you have those concerns about you know the algorithm has me doing certain things or eating certain things or or exercising in a certain way. How do you avoid accidentally causing harm what kind of safeguards and guide rails are are in place for this kind of thing so that that's like saying somebody's going to hack into the mri and and futz with the software in the mri right i mean these systems are pretty much independently locked down they they have security protocols etc that are you know to keep them safe um and I'm sure that if somebody tried hard enough, they might be able to get into one, but I have not heard of that case yet. I'm not encouraging anybody, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, when when we build these systems, they're, either, they're sort of standalone 
or they have the security protocols to keep them safe. But again, you know, if we don't go through the clinical trials to prove that it works, to um, clear all those hurdles, it shouldn't be allowed on the market. And that's why, you know, thank God we have an FDA in this country that sort of puts those protocols in place and we've got to go and th jump through all those hoops to get this product to market. Now, it's funny you should mention that because I when when I was in college, <clears throat> one of the one of the temporary jobs that I had was with Beringer Ingelheim, which uh, does a lot of pharmaceutical stuff. And the yep. particular operation where I was at was dealing with uh, veterinary pharmaceuticals. Okay. And my task was to update the paperwork notebooks. Now, this is, you know, 30 years ago. So we got these giant three ring binders on the shelves. And I'm looking at these studies for drugs for dogs. And these studies cover 15, 20, 30 years of back and forth trials and experiments and labeling and all of this paperwork. And it hasn't even gone to market yet. So you're talking about hoops for the for the FDA. Yeah. Realistically, how long does it take from concept to deployment for something like this? Well, they, you know, the number that everybody throws out is about 10 years and over a billion dollars for a drug. Right. For right. diagnostics and, and those sorts of devices, it's significantly less than that. Right. Um, but, you know, with. Artificial intelligence and some of the processes that we're now putting into place, we're actually shortening that timeline. So, you know, we can now possibly get drugs to market faster or pick a narrower population so that we don't have to, you know, go for that larger population, which takes just longer and costs more. Right. Um, we're doing things like utilizing digital twins in a clinical trial where you would recreate the human from all the electronic medical record data that the FDA would consider as a participant in a trial. So let's say you got 80 humans, live humans, right? and then I could create 20 digital twins, and then I would meet my requirement of having 100 people in this trial. Um, processes like that are causing things to move forward faster and more efficiently than old school paper, let's say, where I had to stick everything in the mail and wait for it to get there. Excuse me. So, so how did you get onto this to begin with? I mean, what was, what was your starting point to sit there and go, you know what, there, there's gotta be a way that we can streamline this, that we can, you know, come up with applications. Where, where was your entry point for, for this? Ugh. Uh, I don't want to say a hundred years ago, but it was a long, it was a long time ago. Right. I mean, where, where I was, you know, I started out my career, uh, you know, building computers and working at a, um, computer training corporation while I was getting my biology degree. Um, so I saw how, you know, computational systems could allow you to do things that was difficult for, you know, a human to do, um, and then, you know, I, I've been involved in the lab business, diagnostics. I worked at the company that did the human genome. And, I, you know, you're talking about lots of data yeah. that you need to manage. And you could just see how the latest Intel chip and these, you know, advances that we were making were letting us do our job in life sciences and healthcare better and faster, or even opening up things that we couldn't do that you know now we can do right so when when they come out with a chip that is 10x better than the one before it trust me there's a bunch of applications where all of a sudden we're going huh i can now do this that i couldn't do in the last iteration or it would have taken me forever to do it and now i can do it in real time right yeah, I mean, well, I mean, comparatively speaking, these things have more computational power than what than what we sent to the moon. You know, yes. you get you get that kind of advancement. And and in in your book, you talk about um, AI being used in simulations for for surgical training, for example, where you have you know, that kind of thing where you can be in real time and get some kind of a of a realistic response. 
from from your from your simulated patient. And well, you know your faster yeah. pro- your fra- faster processing chips and and your your faster technology allows for that kind of thing to happen in in real time. I would think. Yeah, yeah. And so think about gaming, right? Where is gaming with haptics and how real the game is getting? Well, okay, that same technology, right, could be applied to now you're seeing a patient and there's a haptic response on the, you know, maybe the wand you're carrying, which is, you know, mimicking a scalpel or something else. And so somebody now who never had to touch a patient can now test and test and test and train themselves again and again to get better and better at the procedure without, you know, having to do all that testing on a, on a real human being. So they get better before they get there. Right. The flip side of that though, is you're talking about also uh, technology like, you know, your Fitbits and, and your wearables to track and monitor your blood pressure and your heart rate and whatnot. But then you you can take that farther with say implants, um, prosthetics, and now we're in Borg territory. Where you know how how do you how do you avoid that kind of development? Because there are people out there who would probably go for it. Say, yep, sign me up. I'll, I'll be part of the collective. And it, where, how do you how do you avoid that? Well, there are already people that are implanting, you know, RFID chips to, you know, for security to enter a building or things of that nature. Um, you know, from a medical perspective, you know, everything that that I know of is being created for medical necessity. Right. So I have a hard time seeing a surgeon cutting off someone's leg to <laughs> put in something that's electronic. I mean, there might be some countries in the world that might happen, but... Well, I have much, a hard time seeing that happen here. How much of a leap is there between, you know, the the people who take these these giant holes in their ears or in the middle of their face or whatnot and put these rings in and whatnot for all the all this all this cosmetic tomfoolery? How much of a leap is it between doing that and hey, let's let's take an eye out and put a put an implant in or whatnot? I mean, to me, that just seems like it's just one or two, three steps down the road. Yeah, I don't. I, I haven't seen anything that advanced, Jason. And to be quite honest, I mean, if you think about how often do you upgrade your iPhone? I don't. Do you really <laughs> want to be upgrading your eye that often? Probably right. not. Right. right? I mean, so there there's some there's a lot of hurdles coming into play, um, you know. But I will tell you that there's you know great technology in the medical space where you know if you had hereditary blindness, can I use a gene editing technology to restore blindness? So if somebody said to me, hey, we can give you the mechanical eye or we can restore the vision in your real eye, I bet you most people would say, you know, restore the vision in my real eye and I'm, I'm good to go, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we are making tremendous advances in all these areas. Um, and it's moving faster and faster every year, which is, you know, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, it's just difficult for people to keep up with for the most part. And that's why I wrote the book is to help people get up to speed or at least understand what's happening so that they can directly incorporate some of this into their life if it's helpful to them or someone in the family. Now you talk about uh, the speed of this thing and, and like everything else with computers or technology or, you know, it's like nuclear power or whatever, fill in the blank with whatever it is. There there are occasions where we'll kind of take a look around and say, are we mature enough to handle this technology developing as quickly as it is? Because sometimes it can get a little bit further ahead of us than than we can handle. How do you, how do you avoid that? So in a, in a lot of areas, I think it's way ahead of what we can currently handle, right? Yeah. Uh, you know social media and these things being one of them. Uh, On the medical side, you know, what I always tell policymakers is you guys need to get ahead of this. Like you guys need to understand it and you need to get get ahead of it because you cannot be behind it. That's my first comment to most people. The second thing, though, is is I think you're going to see dramatic advancement in drug development, personalized medicine, and things like that because of these advancements. 
Um, you know, if you look at DeepMinds and AlphaFold and their ability to, you know, predict the folding of a protein, which used to take us, I mean, forever, if not impossible to do, depending on what you were looking at, they've now done it. And now Meta just announced their own algorithm um, in the protein folding space. So, you know, those developments will really help drug developing companies develop a drug faster or find treatments for diseases that they wouldn't even have tried before because they didn't have this information. Right. Uh, well, Death, Death Angels makes a good point. Legislatures are always lag behind technology. And you mentioned social media. You know, we see how um, the algorithms and the AI and the machine learning, and you make a distinction between deep learning and machine learning and, you know, artificial yes. intelligence as a big blanket in, in this, you know, stacked different uh, structure of what's what. But, you know, you social media is, is a great example of how the algorithm can be used to manipulate people, can manipulate yes. information. It can it can uh, steer people down a funnel into, you know, well, you like this, you interact with this, we're going to give you more of this, and it reinforces a lot of different things. How, the it just to me it just seems like and you're making the distinction between the application and a medical environment but it seems to me that just AI in general the idea of machine learning in general is fraught with the danger of abuse or uh misunderstanding or misapplication so it, it I keep going back to Skynet you know at some point something will go wrong and we're all going to be duck and cover, right? So, you know, again, just to make the distinction between the medical world, right, and the free-for-all world where, you know, the only thing that drives me is profit, so whatever I can do to manipulate you, I will, which is, you know, typical social media. We're trying to do something on in our world that has to get to a real answer, and we're using the tool to help us get there uh, more efficiently and more accurately than we would in another area. And we have to meet certain threshold and criteria, and then we have to lock it down. It's not like it's just open to let someone keep playing with it. Right. Uh, right. And so the multiple layers of checks and balances that exist are, should give people some level of comfort. Now, can I tell you that it's foolproof? It, nothing is foolproof. I mean, especially in digital format, but wow, we work hard to make sure that we keep that standard at the highest level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we understand the implications of what we're doing. Well, okay. So having said that, let me ask you this then, because there are a lot of people that are looking at the last couple of years, especially with the development of these vaccines that get rolled out and a lot of the information that's coming out now that contradicts what we were told in the beginning. Oh, well, you know, you take this shot, it'll prevent you from getting it, it'll prevent you from transmitting it. And now we're finding out that these pharmaceutical companies lied about just about everything. How do you how do you factor that in? Because yes, the the ethics of the of the AI and the machine learning and stuff, we have to make sure that we we meet certain criteria and standards. But when you're criteria and standards are set by people who are acting in an unethical manner to begin with, what does that do? So I don't know, or probably not familiar with the exact pieces of information you're referring to. So it's difficult for me to. I can tell you that we have a process for approving vaccines in this country, right? And right. so everybody follows those processes. We had we encountered a virus that we had not encountered before. And the whole system moved in unison to get this thing out, which we got from sequencing the virus in 48 hours, by the way. So let mm. me give you a comparison. Okay. When we sequenced the SARS virus, it took us three months 
because of the advancement in the technology, we sequenced COVID in 48 hours. So you can you can do the math on how much faster we did that, right? Sure. sure. Yep. 48 hours after that, because of the mRNA technology, we had the first test uh, vaccines 48 hours after that. And then we, we were able to produce the vaccine and give it to the first person in nine months. That was absolutely unheard of. And the reason we were able to do that is because all of a sudden said, everybody said, this is going to be really bad. Let's run everything in parallel. Instead of everything doing it serially like we had historically, we need to run a few things in parallel and take risk. Right. We need to build a factory that's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. <clears throat> build the factory, because if it does work, we need to be ready. Right. Right. So there were a lot of things that got done that were. Everybody took risk because we understood what we could lose if we got if we didn't if if we didn't. Um, and so I can see that that learning that we had from that now being applied to lots of different drugs, which means we can get drugs out of the pipeline faster than we had historically. But by doing that, and I, I don't want to I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too deep on this, but by doing that, do you run the risk of <clears throat> short circuiting the process if you're if you're stacking and running things in parallel because as as we're finding out from from testimony and and different things from the Pfizer executives and whatnot, there are certain tests that they didn't do, and there are certain test results that they lied about with regard to the efficacy of this particular uh, vaccine. So yeah, you can go through this whole process of of making the the vaccine development faster, but at the end of the day, how do you how do you then turn around and say well, this will work knowing that it doesn't. And I know that's not your particular bailiwick, but you, you get into this situation now where just because we can do this thing faster doesn't necessarily mean that we should because we end up bypassing a lot of the process and the checks and balances like you talk about with the FDA. So I don't know if, it, I mean, again, I'm really not familiar with, exactly what you're referring to so it's really hard for me to if i don't read it and and study it it's hard for me to respond to it sure, accurately sure and i don't want to um, put you on the spot I mean, that's not my intention yeah, yeah. So. no no and and to but but and i don't know of any anywhere where we skirted like really skirted the process i think we sped it up but we didn't i don't know of anything where we skirted the process okay um, and the efficacy of the vaccines, uh, you know, when you get the flu vaccine, it has like a 30, 35% efficacy rate. Like, in other mm -hmm. words, it's not going to protect you 100% from the flu. Right. Right. And so some of the COVID vaccines had a much higher efficacy rate to protect individuals. Um I mean, look, I'm not the vaccine guru, so I'm not going to sit here and, you know, defend this whole thing. Right. But, you know, if you were had my experience of working in this world for the past, you know, 25 years and you saw how everybody mobilized like an army, shared information without hoarding it to sort of move this process forward, it was a humbling experience to see. I mean, I remember, you know, the guy that actually said, okay, here's the target that you need to go after. When he handed that over, he was crying because he knew that if he was wrong, like this was going to set the whole process back. So, and thank God he was right. But you can imagine like all these people mobilizing to sort of move this in the right direction. Um, you know, I'm looking at it from the positive angle. Sure. I, there's... There's probably going to be some bad apples, you know, in a whole cart. <laughs> right. But in general, I just don't see the whole system being bad. Right. Uh, it's just, just not and, my experience. And and to be clear, I, I want to make sure that that I don't misspeak here. I'm not I, I'm not trying to, to say that the entire system is corrupt. I, that's that's not my intent. 
But, you know, it's it. There is that question of, you know, again, you know, it's like Jurassic Park. You know, you you spend all this time figuring out how to do something and you don't sit there and ask yourself if you should. And, And sometimes I think people, especially on the outside looking in, they see artificial intelligence and they see machine learning and some people get the heebie-jeebies over this stuff because of the of the of the perceived possible danger whether that's real or not completely different different part oh absolutely but if you think about it we've been i mean the artificial intelligence and machine learning is being used in our lives all the time in the background you just don't know it's there yeah no, well, that's that's a good point for us to to circle back to. Well, why don't we do this? We'll take a real quick break. We will we will come back. We'll continue our conversation with Harry Glorickian about how artificial intelligence is everywhere. Stand by. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here, inviting you to join us every Saturday morning for news. The week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror, comic books, video games, plus Comic-Con updates and the weather and the occasional interview along the way. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. We hope you join us every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker, and you see there in the in the corner of the studio some old technology, print magazines, and an old Macintosh, and it still works. We are talking with Harry Glorickian. He is the author of the book The Future You, and we're talking about the application of artificial intelligence in maintaining health and and lifestyle and fitness and and that sort of thing but there there are other applications to uh that that we have artificial intelligence in our lives all the time and i i I made the joke at the beginning of this thing just how intrusive it is but there are places where ai is of some benefit i would expect and 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 let's let's talk a little bit about some of that because i don't i don't want to be all doom and gloom and black pill and you know skynet's just around the corner where are where is where is ai being used that maybe we don't even realize it i mean you know we got the fitbit and we got the the you know the the gps but where else is it being used and and how is it benefiting us as a as a general population well i mean if you think about um your google searches your netflix recommendations your um siri or i can't remember what the if there's one on google but you get the idea it's it's you know all of those things or what's in the AI toolbox to help you get you what you need faster and better traffic patterns, you know, the lights changing, you know, everything that makes things run a little smoother. There's probably some form of machine learning or AI in the background, all these large language models, right? Right. They're all AI driven. So, um, you know, we, we, we give this thing, this name of artificial intelligence and it's, it's, I hate the name because it's just absolutely untrue. It is not intelligent by any stretch of the imagination. It's dumber than a box of rocks, I'm right? Glad you said it. <laughs> right? Yeah. But but what it does is is it's very it's incredibly good at identifying patterns or being able to analyze a lot of data at one time and then present you with things that it sees. Um but and these can be incredibly helpful and just like any other tool i mean i don't see anybody demonizing excel we use it all the time it's a big tool crunches a lot of numbers yeah, right right um 
this is just, you know, the next level of sophistication of being able to crunch a lot of numbers. I can see that, but I, I think also you've got a you've got an uphill battle there in trying to get layman's to under you know layman understanding of this. Maybe because we've had too many Skynet movies and and the you know the science fiction films that come in and say you know you you got HAL nine thousand and you've got you know all of this all of this you know these stories about. You know the destruction of the of of civilization because some some computer program got out of control or or something. We we are we are very far away from you know commander data. Okay, so everybody <laughs> just be calm calm down, right? But having said that, though, we, you you have now because you know you talk about using the game the game engines for 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 surgical simulations and that kind of thing and the haptic suits and whatnot. You know, you've got now these digital studios like the volume and these different things that Industrial Light and Magic are using, all of these different things, where they can project these digital environments up on these LED screens and you don't have to go out on location. And then you have uh, technology like deep, deep fake and respeacher. And if I've got enough samples of Harry Glorickian's face and voice, I can create a, dim a digital twin of Harry Glorickian and have him say all sorts of nonsense and discredit you. And you said, that's not me. How that's, do you you're, in all of these areas? You're absolutely right. Again, technology can be for good and then technology can be for evil. Right. Right. And so, you know, my book focuses on how are we implementing this technology to identify disease faster, find the right therapy more accurately. Um, help your physician do their job easier and better. Um, or or put the power into your hands so that you can monitor yourself. Because I think about these technologies as having your own personal dashboard. So you wouldn't drive your car without a dashboard. Right. right? And so these technologies give you a view into this machine you're driving every day called the human body and lets you know how it's running. And so you can, you can figure out how to get it to run better, and you'll see when it's running worse. Now, for, for the people who are the skeptics, the people who are looking at this, and they don't trust any of this stuff, how do you persuade them to even think about, you know, just, just, just consider it, just take a look, just, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you've got politicians who are going to be, who, who are going to be dead set against it. Uh, you've got uh, various different uh, groups, organizations that are going to be resistant. Some of them are going to be all for it. How do you, how do you have a constructive dialogue with people that mm, not too sure about this? How do you, how do you champion all of this in a way that, that at least they'll consider it? Well, so when you step up. So when, you know, when, when you step on that scale, you believe the number and you say, hey, okay, yeah. And when you, you've got, it shows the line going up and to the right. Right. You know that you've been eating too much and maybe you want to. The blood pressure cuff on and you notice that, oh my God, my, my blood pressure is going in the wrong. Maybe I need to lose a little weight or change my diet a little bit. Okay. Right. This is not rocket science we're talking about right so these are basic things to let people know or you can use a little and i i, don't, I can't remember where it is it's right here on my desk you know you can use this handheld ecg right where i can put my fingers on it and it does six parameter ecg in my heart and then the ai looks at the trace and says something's right or something's wrong mm -hmm. right all right i don't think anybody's going to be like oh that's 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 horrible don't do that right <laughs> Um, don't tell me if I'm having a heart attack, please. Yeah. I don't want to know. Right? <laughs> Most people would want to know. Sure, right? sure. And so, or they do uh, an image uh, analysis and the AI says, wait a minute, there looks like there's a tumor that's forming here before a human would see it. Maybe we should keep an eye on that tumor. Last time I checked, nobody wants to die of cancer. <laughs> Right. right. So these are all the ways that I see that the technology can help 
either keep you healthier or, you know, prevent you from getting sick because you see things going off track. Or if you are sick, help diagnose you more accurately and then get you the right treatment. So from a practical standpoint, <clears throat> what kind of challenges have you run into in, in designing and implementing uh, in, in getting this stuff deployed, what, what's the, what's the process from concept to actual application? Well, I mean, with most of the companies that are trying to design something, it's okay. What do we, what, what's our, what is our system going to do is, and, and what do we want it to, to do in the end and, and design it appropriately. And then I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges, in, and this is for every field in this is getting the data. Right. Being able to feed the system the right data so that you can train it properly right. and then design your clinical trials so that you can get them out there, do the trials. Uh, raising money, by the way, is a huge issue when you're when you're early on. Sure. In this, right. Sure. Um, and then I will tell you, one of the biggest hurdles is human beings being willing to accept it into their, you know, their their process. Right. That human beings are one of the biggest impediments. Um, even though, like, these systems are faster, tend to be more accurate, help somebody do their job better. Like, let's put it this way. The system that's looking at an image did not play poker last night, didn't get into a fight with its spouse. Right. It's very good at doing what it does repeatedly over and over and over again, Right. Um, and so, and if you look at the data, the machine alone may have like an 80% accuracy. The human alone may have an 80% accuracy. The two, when you combine them, you get into the 90s. So why not use this as a tool to be better? I mean, I don't see anybody throwing out their computers. It's helping them do whatever they're doing better. It's the same thing. It's just a tool that helps us get there faster and be more accurate at what we're doing. Yeah. So have, have you had, uh, have you run into a lot of blowback? I mean, is this, are, are my concerns a little bit more unique than maybe I would, I would think they would be? I mean. So I think depending on what time frame, if you went back 10 or 12 years, oh, you, you know, even 25 years ago, like you saw people go, no, 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 not in, this is not happening. Right. Now you're seeing it move a little bit faster. And I would say in the next five years, you're going to have patients that say, I'm going to go to the physician that is using this and I'm not going to go to the physician that is not using this. Right. It's like, I always say like, do you go to the hospital that has the MRI? Or do you go to the hospital that doesn't have the MRI? You go to the hospital that has the MRI, right? Right. Because so, you want the best care you can get. And these systems are being put in place that will streamline or make that more efficient. And when you put a human and a machine together, you get a better outcome. In, in my humble opinion. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, and I can I can see the benefit. You know, it is as much as I joke about Skynet, as much as I joke about you know our our Google lords and masters and and that kind of thing. You know, I I can see uh, places where having AI or machine learning or or whatnot is useful, but but the ethical component is the big the big hang up for me, because what you can you can design an AI to do whatever. But whoever is in control of that, that's where that's where you start getting into some some fuzzy math because, you know, how, how do you avoid abuse? Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I, I can't disagree with you with the statement that you made. I would just say that in our world, for that system to be deployed, mm -hmm. to be utilized with patients, it has to go through a lot of hurdles and get cleared. It can't just be, it's not YouTube putting out a new algorithm and doing whatever they want with it. We don't get to do that. <laughs> that must be nice. Right? Yeah. No, 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 no. We go to jail when we do that. That's not a good thing. And I do not look good in orange, right? Because <laughs> right. it makes me look bad. So, you know, there are, there are many uh, hurdles and checks and balances and things that we need to do before any of these products that I'm talking about see the light of day. 
Yeah. And so if somebody said to me, would I use something that's not FDA cleared? I would shy away from it, right? If there's something that is FDA cleared versus not, I'd shy away with it because that's a research product. And right. research products be spot on. So how much of the how much of the checks and balances are internal and how much of them are, are government agency type of things? I mean, you, do, is there a is there a line separating all of those? As far as I think there's there, there's both, but a lot is set by the agency, which, which trickles down to every product that you're going to have in your organization. Yeah. Um, and the agency actually. You know. I always tell people, go talk to the agency because they're your friend. They're not your enemy. Um, and that has historically been correct. Because uh, you don't want to show up and say, I did all my testing. And they said, yeah, but we wanted this other test, not this one. Yeah. And then you just spend a whole bunch of money for nothing. But the other part of it is, is if you look at the digital health arm of the FDA, they've, they've really advanced very far. They've put out some great guidances this past year about what these organizations need to do and the standards they need to meet. But how, how do they come about deciding what those standards are if they don't understand the technology that we're dealing with here? So they, the same, the same of, kind of problem you have with the, with the politicians. I mean, how do you regulate something? Uh, that that's understand? different. That's different. The politician is like 95 years old, decrepit, and sitting in some wheelchair someplace <laughs> and can't get around. Doesn't know the difference between Facebook and Google. Okay? Right. The guys in the agency, there's a lot of people that will go in there that'll be younger, that'll be technology savvy. They might only stay at the agency for five or eight years and then they go off in the industry. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they're 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 trying their best to stay up to speed and move the process forward. Um, am I going to say that everything is good at the agency? Absolutely not. There's no way. Right. Right. But for the most part, my experience has been positive with the agency. Um, and I think what they'll do is they'll always work with somebody first. And that first one is a two-way, you know, the, the company is learning and the agency is learning. Mm -hmm. And it tends to go slower for that first one, right? Because nobody wants to make a mistake. Right. The company doesn't want to make a mistake and the agency doesn't want to make a mistake. And then the second one goes a little bit faster, and the third one goes a little bit faster. So where do you see us five years from now? Oof. Five years from now, I'm hoping that we see a lot of these technologies deployed into the hospitals, being used regularly. I see devices at home that weren't available even today that are doing a lot more for people so that they can manage their health better. Um, I could see remote monitoring being completely common where grandma's sitting at home and every time she takes her blood pressure, steps on the scale, whatever, it goes to the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. So the doctor knows when grandma is falling out of line and can help her stay in line and stay healthy longer. How, how, how much effort, how much work needs to be done to get there? Not not just from the standpoint of developing the technology and deploying the technology, but getting people used to the idea of it being there. What, uh, what has well, to be I, done? I, I, I think a lot of people are, are, are getting very used to because we're carrying it around with us every day all the time and we're playing with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the physicians that need to be more comfortable with it being deployed. And I think if they see that they can manage their patients better and, by the way, generate revenue because this is a business, that they will be more apt to adopt these sort of things. If they can do their jobs better, more efficiently, with less stress, that's where I think they'll, they'll incorporate it. And people, I think, will adopt it because I, last time I checked, nobody wants to be sick. <laughs> right. right? So, so people will do things to try to keep themselves healthy. Yeah. So the book is called The Future You. Where can people find this? I would assume Amazon is is uh, got it. Amazon is the easiest place to get it. If they just type in The Future You and my last name, Glorickian, it should pop up right at the top. 
All right. And the website <clears throat> Harry uh, is glorickian.com, uh, where you can find out all about him and uh, and the podcast that you've got. And uh, he's also over on Twitter. We've got uh, these links in our show notes for anybody who's interested in finding out more. And uh, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe the next book comes out. Well, we'll have the sequel, and and we'll have you back on and and talk, and maybe we'll rotate you into the panel on discussions about this stuff because artificial intelligence comes up in conversation every now and again, and it helps to have people who know what they're talking about. I mean, I'd be more than happy to participate. And like I said, I mean, you know, technology can be used in a bad way, but you know, in my world, I just see it making huge strides and and helping us figure out things that were hard for us to figure out before. Yeah. Well, good luck with the book. And uh, I will, I will, uh, I'm about a third, about half the way through it. So it's, it's a very interesting read. Um, it's, it's, uh, not, not what I expected it to be. So I'm, I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised at that. So, uh, speaking of, uh, speaking of technology that can be, bad for you we're on uh 10 different social media platforms anybody wants to connect with us uh we're also on some different video platforms we're trying to get our numbers up over on rumble so we can start live streaming over there we've got a newsletter you can sign up for and yes the paypal account is gone we're looking at some other options there uh so uh that's uh that's that's that i don't know all right harry glorick and thank you very much for being here sir Thank you very much for having me. All right. And thank you, everybody, for being here and uh, jumping in the chat. And, of course, if you are seeing this in replay, feel free to leave a comment. You can always send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom Coming up this week, we have on Saturday a brand new Good Morning Multiverse with all the latest headlines for the week, Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, and a special edition one-shot of Foreign Bodies at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12, uh, 12 p.m. Central. Uh, Mr. Harvey and Mrs. Walker are going to be talking about Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. So uh, join us for that. And then on Friday, uh, the Doctor's Cook will be here, AJ and JJ, talking about their new book, Persephius... Persephius... I always get that wrong. Persephius Escape. So they've been here before. They'll be back on Friday uh, to talk about their new book. So uh, join us for that. Thank you very much for being here, folks. Remember, there are four lights. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 